We are making headway through uh, our new series here on Sunday nights, which uh, is uh, just going through this letter to the Philippian church, which we've entitled Christ, Our Joy. I think, yeah, there we go. It's up there. Uh, This is part three. Uh, We're just going to kind of plot along and see how long it takes us to get through this little letter. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, studying it. I've really enjoyed reading it. This is one of the most beloved letters of the New Testament. We've been uh, making reference to that. This letter is just beloved by many commentators, many Christians, and uh, I would say many in the church for centuries, this book has been uh, a real great benefit and blessing. Uh, Last week, we kind of uh, delved more into the text itself as we've introduced this series entitled Christ, Our Joy. Uh, I really think that uh, this is, of course, a theme which uh, many have noted that this is the theme of this letter. It's not super original or anything to say that Philippians is about joy, but uh, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We don't have to come up with some secret meaning to Philippians. Uh, really, Paul is, is all about engendering and trying to instill the joy of Christ and Christ as the Philippians' joy into their hearts and lives. And I think that's very evident as you go throughout these pages. Uh, We noted last time just the prevalence of those words, joy, rejoicing, but also the even greater prevalence of the name Christ throughout this letter. Some almost uh, 50 times that name appears in this letter alone. It's prevalent, it permeates, it saturates this letter to a degree that ought to astonish us, but also ought to uh, make us pay attention. We also noted last week, as we were diving into the first little third of this first chapter, we looked at verses 1 through 11, we noted how Christ is our life of joy, especially as our life of joy in Christian community. We noted that, especially as Paul is perhaps remembering those events in which he established the Philippian church, which we can read about in Acts chapter 16. But I really think that this theme of Christ as the Christian's joy is not just the theme of this letter. I think this is the theme of Paul's life. This is his heartbeat. This is what Paul is all about, you might say. And Christ was his joy. And he's, he's making sure that those who have been brought into union with Christ are imbued with this sense that they have that Christ alone is their joy. And again, that's not just something that we can put on, on a Hallmark card at a certain time of year. It's, it's something that comes about as a byproduct of the gospel. Uh, I was thinking about this also in relation to what Jesus said in John chapter 15. If you remember these words, John 15, 11, Jesus says, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. So here I would say that Paul is, is almost repeating, he's, he's echoing the ministry of Jesus Christ by imbuing and instilling these believers in this church with the joy uh, that is only can be found in Jesus Christ alone. This was Christ's mission, and this is Paul's mission as well. Tonight I want to focus on verses 12 through 26, and this is going to constitute the next sort of section of this chapter. Whereas verses 1 through 11 was the joy of Christian community, I would say that this little section is about the joy of Christian thanksgiving. 
the joy of Christian thanksgiving. And that's something that perhaps we uh, have tended to relegate only to a certain month of the year. Uh, there's a big holiday in, in November that I'm especially fond of because it centers around a feast. And uh, we are told that this is when we are to be thankful. We write down, perhaps you practice that, uh, that ritual or that tradition of writing down little notes of things you're thankful for. And you read them on Thanksgiving Day. I think that's wonderful. But I think it's interesting too how uh, we have relegated only that time of year to really be truly thankful for things in our life. Uh, rather, as Paul says here, if you look at that, ver- that word in verse 3 where he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. That word thank there is really interesting, and actually we ought to note it, because actually the word thank there is in the, is in the Greek, the very same word that which we get our word Eucharist. Which really just has, makes us perhaps think of a very sort of high church word for the Lord's Supper or something like that. But the Eucharist, really what it means in its truest form, in its truest sense, it is to be grateful or to express gratitude in an active sense. It's an active gratefulness. Which I think this is the best summation of the life of faith, of the Christian life itself. We could say it this way if you'll allow me. It's a Eucharistic life. It's a life of continual active gratefulness for the things done. The, the Eucharist or the Lord's table as we were noting last week when we were celebrating that wonderful Sunday in which we saw people baptized and we were able to partake of the Lord's Supper is a precise moment and we got to see uh, Eucharistic life on display through baptisms and through participating in the Lord's Supper. It's a, it's a life of faith and it's a life of gratefulness because of things accomplished, because of things done. And here Paul is saying that this life of gratefulness kind of spills over you get this sense of a cup that has just spilled over and it's running over this is this life of thankfulness i think he's he's exemplifying and sort of being an example of and i think this is at the heart of this letter this eucharistic lifestyle of of faith and and gratefulness for the things done uh, such is what gives us joy Such, I think, is what's on display here in this particular passage, wherein I think Paul gives us, he sort of epitomizes three ways in which you and I can be thankful in Christ. Ways, actually, that I think are supremely relevant to where you and I are right now. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different than I normally do. I'm going to show you where I'm going Uh, Only because I want to just be up front with you that we're not going to make it through all of these points. (laughs) Um, I was, I was, here's where we're going. I think that in verses 12 through 14, we see that we can give thanks despite delays. And then in verses 15 down through uh, verse 18, um, I think we see that we can give thanks despite diversions. And then in verses 19 down through verse 26, I think we can give thanks despite death. Now, I give you that just so you can get a good grasp, I think, of what's going on in this particular passage. As Paul is describing the joy of Christian thanksgiving, I think it's all encapsulated in those three points. 
But I'll just be upfront with you. We're only going to get through um, this one right here. Um, <laughs> I was studying this particular passage, and I just kept studying, and I kept writing. And I think it was very apparent that uh, God wanted me to pause <laughs> on this particular point and not rush through just to, to finish this particular passage. Uh, and so we're going to pause just on verses 12 through 14, because I think there is so much here. So much, yes, in just these three little verses, which tell us that we can give thanks despite the delays that we experience in life. Look again at verse 12. Because here Paul is giving a very personal testimony, I think, about his current predicament, his current situation. And I think this testimony ought to startle us. This, this testimony, the things that Paul is writing about here, ought to um, alarm us and amaze us. Notice what he says. But I would you should understand, brothers, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brothers in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now apparently news of Paul's imprisonment, his re- most recent imprisonment among many, uh, have made its way back to the church at Philippi. Perhaps uh, through uh, the, the messenger Epaphroditus who appears later on in the letter. And so here he's making a point, a very pointed uh, point, we might say, to reassure this church uh, through the course of this letter of, of what his current condition is. You've heard these rumors about my imprisonment. Well, let me tell you what it's actually about. And you see, rather, rather than brooding over the fact that he's in bars, he's caged, confined amongst Roman bars and in Roman chains, those bonds that he references over and over again, despite being hemmed in and having his ministry caged, Paul makes this audacious claim that instead of actually hindering me, actually everything has fallen out rather unto what? The furtherance of the gospel. What, a, what an amazing testament. That he's, he's basically saying what has occurred isn't what you think or what you've heard about. The rumors that you might hear about are actually untrue. They're focusing on the wrong aspect. Opposite of what the Philippian church might have believed. Opposite of what anyone would likely believe, the Apostle Paul has not been deterred one minuscule in his resolve for the cause of Christ. Despite being imprisoned unjustly, unfairly, despite having all the wherewithal to make a claim that this imprisonment is not legal, he withstands it, he endures it. And he says, actually, everything has fallen out to further the gospel. It hasn't hindered it. It hasn't stopped it. Nothing has ceased. His zeal is not diminished at all. It's not dampened. I imagine Paul being a man of great resolve. And yes, even here, I get this image in my mind's eye that perhaps as Paul is dictating this letter to be sent back to this church, perhaps he's dictating it to that messenger Epaphrodite that he mentions a couple times in this letter. As he's dictating it, he's doing it with a smile. Why? How can he do this? 
Precisely because he has witnessed the very fact that the gospel has not been hindered. It hasn't been, been pulled back, not even by a small degree. It's actually been furthered. That word means advanced or progressed. This message of Christ has flourished even as its messenger sits in chains. Think about that statement to this church. This church which loves Paul, who is so fond of this apostle, who spent so much time with him, and has such an endearing relationship with his church. Uh, Imagine their hearts being so vexed for the apostle. They hear this news, oh, he's in prison again, because he's preaching Jesus. And imagine their hearts yearning for some sort of way that they can get some, some, some help to him, some, some, uh, some supplication to him, something to support him, show them that they are on his side still. And yes, even as he's awaiting further trial, Paul is saying, don't worry about me. God's message is still going forth. Christ is still being championed. How is this so? <laughs> Well, precisely because, as it says in verse 13, this, this prison cell has been transformed into a church. <laughs> he says it, that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Essentially, Paul is saying, everyone knows why I'm here. <laughs> I, imagine, I imagine everyone that comes by, Paul is talking about the fact that he's here because of Christ. And this thing isn't a bad thing. He's just saying, I'm here because I love Jesus. And guess what? Let me tell you about this Jesus guy. You notice, you notice how quickly he passes over any details about being in prison? He, he, he barely mentions them other than the fact that they are called bonds. He doesn't talk about his surroundings he doesn't talk about the fact that he was perhaps in this, this really dark and, and damp uh, dungeon. A cell of Roman imprisonment that was meant to be something that, that as he awaits further trial for, for just preaching Jesus. He doesn't talk about anything around him other than the fact that he has been in bonds. But yes, these are bonds because of Christ. And then therefore he can glory because he's participating, as Peter talked about in his letters, he's sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Everyone knows why he's here. Suddenly word is spreading. Rumors were spreading about why he was in prison, but now better rumors are spreading about the, the very reason why he's there, as he, as he says there, because I am in Christ. So that my bonds, verse 13 again, uh, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest, they're made known in all of the palace. Which has this awesome sort of uh, upside down sort of like topsy-turvy image that we have. That those who are commissioned with keeping Paul under surveillance and under guard are now privy to this message of Christ alone. (laughs) The guards are being preached to by their one that they are imprisoning. (laughs) He's telling them about Jesus. And what's more, more even than that, verse 14... This testimony is going out. It's spreading far and wide. It's going forth. And he says that there's other guys, other brothers in the Lord. They're, they're waxing confident by my bonds and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
Other guys, they're hearing about Paul's imprisonment and precisely because of that and because of his confidence and faith and because of the way he is enduring this particular moment, they are seeing it and they too are being persuaded to speak the truth of the gospel as it says there, without fear. They're growing in confidence and faith. In fearless faith. Again, pause and think. This one Paul, who is one of the most prevalent preachers of the gospel in the first century, as is evidenced by his many letters in our New Testament, he, the the, quote, forerunner of this new church age, is imprisoned, and yet what is happening? The gospel is still flourishing. The one who is at, so to speak, the front lines of the gospel ministry in this new church age is being hemmed in. He's being chained. He's in this prison cell. And yet still the gospel is going forth. Actually, as he says there, everything is happening rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. What an alarming statement. It's a statement that, that took me aback. When, when I really stopped to think about this. Because whereas the Philippians, they were perhaps aware of this thing and they were seeing it as a hindrance. we got to get Paul out of there. we got to get Paul out of that prison cell because the gospel is so important. we got to get him out. And yet Paul sees it differently. Paul says, hey, you stay being faithful. Because I'm being faithful right where I am. Christ can go forth whether I'm in chains or whether I'm out there with you. Actually, as he's going to say later, this is a hint for a couple weeks from now if we get there in a couple weeks or maybe next week. When he says, actually, whether I live or die, Christ is going to go forth. (laughs) Paul's delay, as he states matter-of-factly, has not Hindered this word of Christ that he so is emboldened and he so cherishes, it actually has advanced it. And actually, we could also say it this way that he has, he has uh, been able to share this faith, give this faith to others, and also encourage others who perhaps had this faith and weren't doing anything with it. And now, as he says, they're waxing confident, he's ministering. <laughs> He's doing the work of a minister in a prison cell. Paul, giving thanks to God despite the delays that he's experiencing and enduring. I'm reminded of that testimony from the patriarch Joseph in Genesis 50 verse 20. You perhaps are familiar with those words where Joseph at the end of his life says, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. And essentially Paul is saying the same thing. (laughs) These imperial guards, they're meaning to do evil to me by locking me up, but actually all they've done is give me a captive audience. (laughs) Because they have to stay with me just as much as I have to stay with them. So they get to hear me preach about Jesus day in and day out. (laughs) Imagine being those guards to Paul. (laughs) And the the incessance with which he preaches Jesus. (laughs) Perhaps they were annoyed by how much he he articulated that message. (laughs) Annoyed so much so that I think all of the palace, as he says here, has heard about why he's in prison. (laughs) Because he's in Christ. 
The entire Roman garrison who has been charged to keep Paul under surveillance is now being evangelized by this very guy that they are putting into bars. (laughs) I'm reminded of what uh, the evangelist H.I. Ironside, he comments here. That the prison cell for Paul, quote, became a gospel chapel where souls were being born of God and where stern Roman soldiers became themselves the captive servants of one greater than Caesar. What a, this to me is just an alarming turn of events and an alarming testimony that stirs me in, in my very deepest of soul. That as Paul can say here, that these things which happen unto me, they aren't what you think they are. They aren't hindering me. They're falling out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. He says here, I rejoice in these things. As he says here at the end of verse 18, therein I do rejoice and yea will rejoice in these things. I will give thanks for them. Because they aren't just some random happenstance. This is a divinely appointed occasion. Wherein he was given prime opportunity to witness the uncanny advance of the gospel. An advance that happens even as he is locked down. (laughs) An advance that happens even as he has been put behind bars. An advance that happens even as this primary messenger is arrested. It's proof positive, I think. These three little verses. Proof positive that God is completely sovereign over the progress of his gospel. He's completely sovereign over its advance. Guess what? This frees me up as a gospel preacher to making sure I hit a home run with every sermon. (laughs) Because God's completely sovereign over the advance of his gospel. Guess what? This frees us up to know that he's got the world on a string. It's God himself. The the reference to that old Frank Sinatra song. Not us. God does. He has orchestrated all of these events according to his purposes. And in that, Paul gives thanks. He says, all of this has happened out rather unto the furtherance of the good news of Jesus Christ, which saves men from their sins. He writes that as he sits in chains. I wonder, I have to stop and ask myself, would I have the same response? Would I have the same reaction to these events? Or if if my good intentions for life or for ministry were put in chains, they were restricted, or if they were, if if you'll allow me to use this phrase, if they were locked down, would I have the same response? Again, I, I don't think you have to wonder too much. Considering we just had a year in which we endured something similar. No, we weren't in chains. We weren't arrested. But we had a year of, quote, lockdown life in which we were given a very striking mirror in which we were made to see what our faith is made of. What's, what's the stuff that our faith stands on? 
What is, it, what is it truly standing on? To reference what we talked about last week on Sunday morning in Matthew chapter 7. Is it that quicksand or is it the rock? Are we the foolish man or are we with the wise man? What is our faith standing on? How have we handled a year's worth of life's delays? I think about this just in terms of our church ministry. We've made two attempts to formulate a team and travel to Poland to share the gospel with our missionaries there. And twice now we have been delayed from that intention. And there's part of me that wants to react in my flesh and say, why in the world is this not being allowed to happen? This is a really good intention. We have all the best plans. <laughs> have we given thanks for these delays? Have we, uh, do we have the same sort of Eucharistic life and approach of being actively grateful even despite delays that are forced upon us? Have we seen this season of life as a hindrance or as an opportunity? Looking back, perhaps we can see missed opportunities. Perhaps we can see ways that we should have reacted. And for that we can praise the Lord because we know that he is working in us. I have to confess. I, I think I've hinted at this. But I, I have not always looked at what we've endured over the last I don't know, 14 odd months. As something that's opportune. <laughs> this doesn't feel like the opportune moment. God this, this feels like a mistake. Look at all the things that we've missed out on. Look at all the churches that have closed. Look at all the pastors who have quit. Pastors who have quit because certain issues arose in the church and divided the church. And they couldn't handle it anymore. Things that happened. Things that were delayed. Things that were, uh, uh, that were uh, totally abandoned. And who would have thought that the whole world would have come to a stop basically on a dime? <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about delays and how this relates to what the year that we've had. And I was thinking about the, like last March or so. Like really early on when the pandemic. So that word wasn't even in the vernacular yet. <laughs> and me and Pastor Nathan were talking. We're, I was like, did you hear about those rumors of people like... Being in quarantine over this, this virus thing, I remember, ah, oh, this, whatever. That's not going to touch us. <laughs> that's, just, that's just rumors. And then it kept getting louder, and I kept shrugging it off. And then all of a sudden, pff, here we are 14 months later. <laughs> and I say that because who would, who would look back on that and call that good? In a lot of ways, it wasn't. Perhaps it revealed something about us that wasn't good. Perhaps we lost loved ones, lost close relations through the course of it. Perhaps we lost friends because we disagreed about science or something. 
Perhaps we, we, uh, we weren't able to do things that we wanted to do. Our plans were altered. It would be almost ludicrous to call a year like that a year of delays after delays over misinformation, over all sorts of scandal and ridicule and judgment and arguing and division. It would be uh, almost ludicrous to call a year like that good. Uh, uh, probably about as ludicrous as calling being imprisoned good. But I think Paul does that. And I think that's the model that he is exemplifying in terms of the joy of Christian thanksgiving. In which we can say that there isn't a moment in which we cannot live a Eucharistic life. In which we cannot be actively grateful for the work of God where we are. And I firmly believe in my hardest of hearts, and I'm not just trying to be rah, rah, hoorah sort of champion type of preacher. I believe that at the course of all of this, that these events will have the same net result that Apostle Paul says here. That these things have happened rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Because I believe that God is absolutely sovereign. Over the advance of his good news. And a coronavirus cannot stop that. Legislature cannot stop that. No matter who is sitting in the Oval Office cannot stop that. He is absolutely sovereign over the advance of his kingdom. Over the advance of his good news. Regardless of outside circumstances. Regardless if its messenger is in chains. Get this. Regardless if its primary king dies. (laughs) It's impossible to know what the present moment means. I've been reflecting on that too. We're really bad interpreters of the quote now. It's, It's really hard to put right now into context. Especially historical context. We are so given over to being sensational and, and saying, look, at this is the worst moment ever. And then, we, then a few days later, perhaps a few months later, perhaps a few years later, we realize what that current moment was actually all about. Because often what it feels like is happening is not always what is happening. I, I love this. I love this passage from Martin Luther. He was commenting on Psalm chapter 4. But I think it applies so supremely well to our current thought. Where Luther says, His work, God's work upon his saints is one thing in appearance and quite a different thing in reality. He seems to kill, but in reality he makes alive. He wounds, but in reality he heals. He confounds, but at that very time in reality he glorifies. And he bringeth down to the grave, but at that very time rather he brings up from the grave. Which is to say, it's hard to sometimes discern exactly what God's doing. And a couple months ago, I would say that it seems like there's something happening with the, quote, capital C church, the church universal. It's felt an awful like like killing and wounding and confounding and bringing down, down to the grave, as Martin Luther there was saying. But what if what it felt like was not actually what was happening? What if something much deeper, much profounder was happening? 
Again, to quote uh, the prophet Isaiah out of Isaiah 55. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Something else is going on. And sometimes we're not privy to what that thing is. I think 2020 was exhibit A of that verse. (laughs) His plans are not our plans for particular years of life. Sometimes he's doing something much deeper. Perhaps he's weeding out things that we trust in. Weeding out people that shouldn't be in our lives. Perhaps he's revealing people who weren't really uh, faithful. They were just making a, a sort of an ascent to Jesus without actually believing in Jesus. Maybe he is doing something to shake up the church so that it realizes that these things are serious and that this gospel is true and that this truth is significance. It has significance for all matters of life and faith and practice. Maybe this was a quote wake up call. And in that, I think we can rejoice just as Paul. Because we can say, we can say with assurance that this has fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Precisely because God's gospel cannot be stopped. I think that's, there's, I think there's been like two themes You know, a a pastor, I think, sometimes can say that he has, like, one sermon that he preaches from a bunch of different passages. And sometimes that's true, I guess. I think I've had, like, two sermons as I've reflected on this past year. Uh, Christ is king and the gospel cannot be stopped. (laughs) I I just see it over and over again. There's events in life that happen that delay us, that seem to hinder us. And yet what happens? God's truth goes forward. God's glory is more greatly revealed because man alone cannot hinder what God is doing. His purposes are way more sovereign than my ability, even my ability to sin. His purposes are way stronger than that. I was reading, and I, I don't usually share passages this long, but this comes from uh, the writer F.B. Meyer. And he shares this wonderful, heartfelt passage precisely to this point. And I wanted to relate to you just because I got so enthused by it. And he writes this, quote, All through history, the, uh, all through the history of the world, excuse me, God has taken what has seemed to be a hindrance and an obstacle, and if only his servants were patient and true to him, he has converted it into a pulpit from which they could better propagate the truth. Oh, I love how he says that. (laughs) That our hindrances become our pulpits. And he goes on further. Quote, When you are devoted to Christ, your very bonds will become electric chains through which the pulsations of energy shall go to others. And your very troubles will be pulpits from which you shall preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Storms cannot shipwreck the gospel. They waft it forward. 
Its foes contrive ingenious devices to obstruct it, but they awake to discover that all they had done to hinder is used to help. The lines of rail and the rolling stock, which the enemy elaborated for incursions of hostile intent, are found to be simply invaluable to bear forward the precious message of the gospel they would overthrow. It will be found doubtless at the end of all things that the beneficent purposes of God have not been hindered one whit, but promoted and fostered by all that has done to frustrate them. This is the mystery of God's providence. That so far from being set aside by evil, evil helps by furnishing the material on which the fire of the gospel feeds and flames to the furthest limits of God's universe. <laughs> what a passage. <laughs> he was commenting on these very verses. That all throughout history, there hasn't been one single moment in which God has been hindered from moving his plans forward. All the way from Genesis 3 <laughs> to now. From Genesis 3, that moment that should seem to be a very great dividing line in terms of what God's plan is and a separation in terms of what he has come to do. It has not hindered what God plans to do with this world. And neither has the, this moment for Paul. He says, actually, everything has fallen out rather unto the advance of the gospel. And we can say the same. That these things have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of this good news. Maybe God was planting it even deeper into our bones that this is true. The cause of Christ can never be chained down. Even if its messenger is. Even if its preacher is put in confines, the message of Christ cannot be. It goes on and on forever. And so long as this earth is allowed to spin, so too will this gospel go forth and progress and advance. And because of that, we can give thanks. Yes, despite delays... Despite things that change our plans. Why? As he says, what then, verse 18, notwithstanding, regardless of what occurs, regardless of how it appears, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, and yea, will rejoice. Because Christ is preached. <laughs> because Christ is is his joy. May we too find Christ to be our joy in the midst of life's delays, whatever those look like. <laughs> what would happen if we were to have another lockdown? <laughs> what would happen if, if something even worse than that occurs? Could we still say this is going to occur rather unto the furtherance of the gospel? I believe Paul could, because Christ was his joy. I pray I can too, and I pray you can as well. Let us pray.